Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. How are you guys? Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Oh, I, I, I love Thanksgiving. Gosh, I love Thanksgiving. I, I've been doing this this uh, this stupid diet <laughs> where basically you cut out all your joy and happiness. <laughs> um, and, but I, we suspend, Patty and I suspended it for 24 hours so that we could have Thanksgiving and and then leftovers in the morning after Thanksgiving. Oh. I, honestly, like that's getting to be my favorite part of Thanksgiving meal is the next morning. We, oh, yeah, we had some pumpkin pie. We had, we we made grilled cheese with everything from Thanksgiving on it. It was so good. Um, it really was. It was so good. Um, if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter four. Um, do you guys like the winter wonderland in here too? It's it is the most wonderful time of the year. It is. I, I you know, listen. If you don't like Christmas. When you get born again, you'll fall in love with it, I promise. No, really, you will. Um, and, and because you'll realize that, like, man, when it's just a reminder that there was a time where God looked down at our lives, and because of his great love for us, he gave his son. He looked down at us and, and out of love for us, not out of obligation, not out of frustration, not out of irritation, any other un that you could think of out of love for us, like genuine love for us in that moment. It's like now is the, you know, it's crazy too. It says, it says when the time was right, you know, um, and, and it's so crazy. This is in the fullness of time. And, and I, I, I thought about that and I think I've mentioned it before, how the fullness of time for God for Mary to bring forth his son looked like a teenage girl that was engaged but not yet married. How our idea of when the time is right and God's idea of when the time is right can be so completely opposite because my idea of the fullness of time looks like Mary not being a teenage girl, not having to travel while she's almost ready to give birth and certainly married so that there's no questions because obviously God wouldn't do something that would cause a scandal if people didn't understand that it was him. Ever. And it was like at that moment, this young girl who's engaged but not yet married, it says it was the fullness of time. I'm, I'm not, don't hear me say what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that, that teenage girls need to run out and get pregnant because that's the Lord's plan. What I'm saying is that that was the fullness of time for his plan to come about. It wasn't what I would have picked. It wouldn't be the timeline that I would have drawn up. And how many times in our lives do we have frustration because we have a timeline and the fullness of God's time and our timeline are so directly opposite to each other. And what happens is we make a God out of our expectation rather than expecting something from our God. And then when our expectation isn't met, our frustration is with God, but it's not really with God. It's out of the God that we made in our image that didn't respond the way we think he should, when he, we thought he should, how he thought we thought he should. 
And I just, I know that, that, that this year was supposed to be the year, right? Like at the beginning of 2021, everyone, I mean, beginning of 2020 was going to be the year, right? 2020 vision and all that stuff. Everyone was, if you listen to, to anyone, 2020 was going to be the most amazing year ever. And for some people, it was still an amazing year. And for some people, it was the worst year of their lives. And a lot of people, I went through really hard things. I started to trivialize that stuff and say that it wasn't hard for a lot of people. It really was. But 2021, everyone had all these expectations. And it's like, listen, the expectation isn't in a year. It's in the Lord. And he's not bound by calendars. He's not waiting till 2022 for things to get better. He's not waiting for 2022 for you to stop living the way you've been living and start living the way he's called you to live. And I promise you, if your expectation is in 2022, your expectation will be in 2023 and 2024 and 2025 because the Lord is not a year. The Lord is, is, is a father to be loved by and a master to be yielded to. And you could choose to do that right now and come into the new year already walking in the things that you put off until the new year. You could choose today who you would serve. It'll be just as easy today as it will be January 1st for everything that you're thinking about starting on January 1st. It's not going to be any easier then. Some things may be harder then because a bunch of people decided the same thing on January 1st that you decided on January 1st. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. You know one thing I love? I love that we have a culture of people saying what they feel like the Lord is saying for them to say. And, and I love that Will this morning talked about how the words that we speak are creating either life or death, that we need to begin to speak the words of life. Because I, I have this word in me that I felt like I'm supposed to preach this morning, and it's talking about that same stuff. And so when I hear those things, Will has no idea. It's not like I shared notes with him and he somehow worked my sermon into the worship. It's that God worked himself into the worship. And so when he works himself in, his words come out. And it's such a confirmation and encouragement for me as I'm kneeling down here worshiping and I hear Will say those things. It's just the Lord. And if I didn't share that with anyone, no one else would know. But it's just the Lord, maybe just for me, saying, like, this is it. This is where my heart is this morning. You've got it. And it's just that little extra, like, knowing that I know that I know that I know that this is where the Lord's heart is for us this morning. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, super familiar story. I feel like the, lately the Lord's been bringing us back through some really familiar stories, but pointing out some things that maybe um, we haven't seen in them. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive, that it's quick, that it's sharp, that it divides what we thought and what you said, what we felt and what is true. It divides what the world says and what actually is. And I thank you that as I speak today, God, your word would be a sword. Father, that it, that it would come and it would, it would cut, but, but not in a way that harms, God, but in a way that removes what was never meant to be there to begin with. Father, if there's anything growing in our lives that, that's cancerous, Father, that your word would come and like a surgeon's scalpel would just cut it away, leaving what was meant to be and dividing what was never meant to be from the beginning. 
I thank you that you're faithful to do that. I thank you, God, for your faithfulness towards us. I thank you, like Zach said, Father, that, that even when we're faithless, that you're so full of faith, you can't help yourself. It's who you are. That you're never hopeless. That you're never surprised. And so, Father, help us to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, so, Jesus, we all know that, that right before this, if you read what happened previous to this, Jesus is baptized by John in the River Jordan, and the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, and Jesus hasn't done anything that we know of in his ministry yet. This is the beginning of his ministry. He's baptized. It says that he, he was immersed in water. He came up out of the water, and when he did the Holy Spirit like a dove, it doesn't mean a dove. It means that the gentle Holy Spirit came and fell on him as opposed to the violent rushing wind that blew through the room. Why do we make a theology out of either one? Why don't we let him just come the way he wants to come rather than saying it has to look like this? I, I, I honestly, I believe there's so many different things in the Bible like that so that we don't make a formula out of anything. So that we don't say, well, this is what it looks like. And if it didn't look like this, then it didn't happen. We just say, Lord, this is what you asked us to do. So we're doing it. However you choose to come, whatever it looks like for you to move. God, the only thing that we have set our hearts on is you. We haven't set our hearts on a thing that you do and made that our God. We've made you, Lord. And so however you come, that's what we want. And so... Jesus comes up out of the water, the voice thunders from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It says that some heard uh, a, a loud thunder and some heard the voice of angels, uh, but Jesus understood it as the voice of God, meaning that you can be in the room when God is speaking and you can hear something in the natural, you can hear something supernatural but not understand what it means, or you could hear what the Father is actually saying. Everybody heard the same thing, only one person actually understood what the Father was saying in that moment. Well, if God, then how come I? Well, it, it doesn't mean that God's not speaking. It could just mean that he doesn't have your attention the way that he desires to. It just could mean that he doesn't have the relationship with you that he desires to. It could mean that you haven't spent the time communing with him to be able to hear his voice when he speaks. And so he's speaking, and yet to some it was just thunder. To others it was supernatural, but it was just angels. But yet Jesus heard the Father and heard what he said. So before he goes out and does anything, which is the way that the Lord seems to work, is that he never wants us working from a position of trying to earn his favor, of trying to earn his, his approval. He wants us to know that we have his favor and that he does approve of us because from that place then we'll go and do the things he's called us to do. But we won't be striving to earn something. So many people are living their lives trying to live up to something so that they can feel then, rather than understanding, no, it's not about you feeling like you are, it's believing that he said that you are, and from there, your life will line up, rather than expecting that once a feeling comes, then I will. The problem with once a feeling comes, then I will, is when the feeling doesn't, then you won't. Because if you will when you feel like it, you won't when you don't feel like it. The problem is the more you don't, when you don't feel like it, the more you don't feel like it. 
and it's a revolving snowball that keeps getting bigger, but it's also true in the opposite. The more you do when you don't feel like it, the more you actually feel like it, and suddenly there's a, revol- there's a snowball in the other direction that's gaining momentum. Our lives are constantly building momentum in one direction or the other. Don't be fooled. There is no sitting still. We are either moving in this direction or moving in that direction, but we are constantly moving, and if we don't know which direction we're moving, I know which one we are. Because if we're not intentionally choosing into him, the whole world is waiting out there to sweep us away. All we have to do is stop swimming and pick up our feet for a second. I promise you, you turn on the news before you've actually heard the Father speak something that day. And let the way that you see the world be influenced by what you hear rather than by what he said. And I promise you, I know which direction your thoughts and I know which direction your life is starting to move. And the crazy thing about momentum is whatever we're looking for, we're sure to find. So whatever we're looking for, once we become convinced that something is a certain way, everything that we see, everything that we hear, everything we experience will confirm that for us because it's what we're looking for. We're preconditioned to see whatever it is that we're looking for. It's it's why when I'm driving with my wife or with friends, I'm always saying, dear, I mean, there are these camouflaged animals standing completely still in the woods 120 yards away as we go 80 miles an hour. I mean, 70 miles an hour, Jackson. (laughs) Just edit that before Jackson hears it. But uh, as we are doing the speed limit down the road, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I'll I'll notice it. Why? Well, I'm preconditioned for it because I actually want to see it. So I see what I'm looking for. And it catches my attention. You know that if you don't like what's catching your attention, stop looking for it. You'd be surprised how fast you go from seeing it everywhere to not seeing it at all. I mean, that's just talking about deer, obviously. There's... And so Jesus hears it, understands it, believes it. And then the very next thing that the son who the father is pleased with does is to be led out into the wilderness where he is going to face the same thing that Adam faced, which is a test of how well do you know what God has said and how much do you trust his character and nature? It's the same thing for all of us. Really, life boils down to pretty simple test. How well do I know what God has said And how well do I know the one who said it? See, because if I know the one who said it, then if someone presents something that was said out of context, it won't make sense to me. Not because he didn't say it, but because I know that he wouldn't say it that way. So Jesus is led out there, and the very first thing that he hears after he hears, this is my beloved son, is a question that says, well, if you are the son of God. It says that the the ravens, the enemy comes because of the word for the word. So when Jesus was telling the parable of the, of the sower, remember he said the, the word is the the seed is the word of God. He says, and the enemy came because of the word. In other words, before there was seed on the ground, the bird wasn't having, didn't have any interest in landing there. But once the word comes, once the seed comes, once something that's capable of producing life comes, it says, then the enemy comes, and it's because of that word. Like, 
Don't be surprised if your life seemed like there was less challenge before you started following Jesus because you probably were being left alone because there was nothing in your life that was capable of producing life either in you or in the people who were eating from the tree of your life. But now that truth has come, now that the word has come, now that something that's capable of reproducing life has come, the enemy comes and he comes for that. The attack wasn't, the, 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 when, the, when, the, when the, the raven came, when the, when the enemy came for the seed, it came for the seed. It, it wasn't interested in the rocks. It wasn't interested in the dirt. It wasn't interested in the plow. It wasn't interested in any of those things. All of those things, because all of those things apart from the seed mean nothing. It says that the enemy came to snatch what had been said. And so Jesus hears, if you are the son of God, And the enemy has a question for him. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Just command it. See, he comes to try to get Jesus to step out of where he's been led by the spirit and step into what he feels because it points out to us that after 40 days of fasting, he began to feel hungry. And the enemy sees, oh, there's a feeling there. And so the thing that he comes and plays off of is the feeling. Notice he doesn't come to Jesus on day 39 and tell him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to be bread. Why? It doesn't say that after the 39th day, Jesus felt hungry. It says after the 40th day, he began to feel hungry. So that means after 40 days, when a feeling came, the enemy saw an opening, he thought, and said, well, now that he has this feeling, I can go and I can get him to step out of what he's been led into by the Father, and I can get him to step into what I want him to step into because I'll play off of of what he's feeling. Turning bread into stones isn't a temptation if Jesus isn't hungry. It's not really a big deal to overcome something that has no attraction. In fact, you do that every day without even realizing it because there's no attraction there. That means there can't be temptation there. So on day 39, when Jesus isn't hungry, the enemy could come and say, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. There's no temptation there for Jesus because there's nothing in Jesus that wants bread in that moment. But now that there is a feeling there, now that he actually is hungry, the enemy thinks, well, because he feels this way, he's vulnerable. You know, the enemy believes that about you and me as well. He believes that if once we start to feel a certain way, he can come and he can lead us out of being led by the spirit and into being led by what we feel. And so Jesus is in the wilderness because he was led there by the spirit. And now the enemy comes at the end of 40 days and says, okay, now that you've been following Jesus for 40 days, listen, this is a, he's in the middle of a 40 day fast. He's at the end of it. Like he's in a place that most of us would dream about being of going 40 days without food and 40 days without supernaturally being sustained by the word of God and the presence of God that's with him by the spirit of God that led him there. Like he's been alone communing with the father without even so much as food or hunger or anything like that interrupting his communion with God. I was doing so good, and then. Mm. 
Man, everything was going great. I was this and I was, but, and then, and I don't know what happened. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, do you know how many times we hear people say that? Do you know how many times we've said that in our own lives? I can't, I, just out of nowhere, like, oh, I was doing so good with this and then that, or I was doing so well. And then it's like, listen, just because it's been 40 days doesn't mean that you need the spirit any less. So the enemy comes and instantly tries to see Two things. Does he know what God has said? And does he trust the one who said it? Of the two, if you only have one, at least know his character and nature. Even if you don't have everything memorized. Because here's the truth. Even if Eve didn't have exactly memorized, which she didn't, what God said. Had she trusted his character and nature, she would have never felt for the, fell for the lie that said, God doesn't want you to because there's something he wants to withhold from you. Because there's something good that God is wanting to keep you from. See, even if you don't know every single thing that God has ever said, if you know God, if you trust his character, you trust his nature, even if you don't, you might be able to say, I don't know, but I know this. He's good. And if he said not to, there's a reason on the other side of that not to that I don't want to discover. So I'm good. Has God really said, you know, I'm not sure exactly if what you said is what he said. <laughs> Has God really said that, that, that you can't eat any of the trees? See, sometimes he comes and directly twists what God said and, and perverts it completely. I think those are the easier times for us to point out. Eve didn't have a problem with that. She said, oh, no, 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 no. But then there's the times where he comes like he did to Jesus. And he uses something that God said, but he removes the goodness and the kindness of God from it and tries to get us to live according to a word that was said apart from the one who said it. If Eve would have just known him the way he wanted to be known, there would have been zero temptation for her to step outside of what God said and think that the only way for me to be really happy is for me to go around what God has asked and do something on my own that is in direct opposition to what God actually called me to. But because she doesn't know him the way he could be known, and because she doesn't know his word as well as she could have, she's easy for the enemy to convince. But Jesus our example in all things, knows not only what was said, but he knows the one who said it. And so he looks at the enemy and he says, not I couldn't, not I can't. See, it's, it's not always about can I. A lot of times it's about should I. Just because I can doesn't mean I should. Just because it could be said doesn't mean it should be said. 
Just because it passes the first layer, which is whatsoever things are true, does it make it past the next layer and the next layer and the next layer and the next layer? Because there's multiple filters. Truth is just the first one. If it's not true, it's not even worth considering any of the rest of it because there's no kind way to lie. There's nothing excellent or praiseworthy about a lie. So that first, whatsoever things are true, is the first filter that we run things by. If it makes it past that, then we have to consider all the other layers. And if it makes it past those, then that's something that we should actually allow ourselves to meditate on. And if we're meditating on it in our heart, eventually it'll make its way to our lips. So the way that we speak the way God would call us to speak is to actually filter what it is that we're thinking about. And so Jesus doesn't get into a debate with the enemy about whether or not he can turn the stones into bread because the the truth of the matter is, is, is whether he can or not isn't what's important. It's, is that what the Father is asking of me? I'm here and I'm hungry because the Spirit of God led me here. I'm not going to get out of what God's called me into by following the plan of the enemy. Come on, don't be fooled into following the Lord until the enemy comes with an easier way. Don't be fooled into following Jesus as long as what Jesus is calling us into feels good and is easier than what the enemy has called us into. Because the minute, if that's why we follow Jesus is because it's easier and because it feels better, then the minute that it's not easier and it doesn't feel better, we'll be tempted to stop following him and grab onto the first thing that comes along that promises an easier way. The enemy comes to him and says, look, this is stupid. If you're the son of God, then why, why, why are you feeling this way? Why are you hungry? Well, I mean, you could do something about this. Look, he'll come to you and say the same thing. If you're the son of God, why are you hungry? Why are you in this position? Why are you feeling the way that you feel? If you're really born again, why do you feel this way? If you're really following Jesus, then why are you in this position? Come on, we've all heard the enemy. Every one of us has heard the enemy say, listen, I mean, is this what following Jesus is? I mean, come on, if you were really following Jesus, if you really were his child, if you really believed, if you really had faith, if you really fill in the blank with the favorite thing that people have said, and the enemy a lot of times uses people, even well-meaning people, then why are you here? Why are you in this? Jesus, if you really are the son of God, use your authority and your position to make life easier for yourself. Jesus answers him and says, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the father. And he says, listen, I'm not saying that man never lives in response to the natural. What I am saying is that I suspend living in response to the natural when I'm living in response to something that God has said. So he says, listen, there are times when if I'm hungry, I eat. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not evil in and of itself. And there may be times where Jesus performs a miracle and produces food, but it won't be when the enemy's trying to get him out of what God's called him into. It'll be when he's doing what the Father is doing to produce the fruit of what God is trying to produce. 
They said, listen, I'm not saying that I'll never eat something when I'm hungry. But I won't eat something when I'm hungry when God's called me to fast. I'm not saying that I won't go to sleep when I'm tired. But I won't go to sleep when he's asked me to stay up and pray. I'm not saying that it's evil to live in response to the natural. I'm saying it's evil to let the natural be the voice that we follow when the supernatural voice of God has spoke something different. This is what Jesus is trying to establish. And you know the the funny thing about this is, is Jesus isn't talking to people. He's talking to the enemy. But at some point, he had to have told the disciples what went on. And at some point, the Spirit of God had to say, they need to know that. My church needs to hear this dialogue between Jesus and the enemy because the enemy is going to come to them the same way he came to Jesus, the same way he came to Adam, the same way he came to every person since the beginning of of humanity. And I want them to see how my son responded because he's their example in all things. And I think that's why Jesus didn't respond in a way that's impossible for you and I to respond. He responded in a way that's very possible for you and I to respond. The first thing is he doesn't let what the enemy is saying and the accusation the enemy is making change his mind about the goodness of the Father. And because he doesn't let that be changed, then he has no problem when, even when the enemy uses the word, twisted out of context, but the word, what does he answer him with? The word. It is written. He is the word. If he said something different in that moment, it becomes the word. Yet he chooses the word that was already there because you and I can choose the word that's already there to defeat the enemy when he comes to us and tries to take something and pull it out of its context and out of relationship with the Father. It's very easy for us, if we know his promises, to say, that that may be true, but there's a greater truth. And because I know the heart of God, even if what you're saying sounds right, even if you imitate his voice perfectly, you can't imitate his heart. You can't imitate his character. You can't imitate his nature. Remember when Jesus went into the garden with his disciples and he asked them to pray for him? He goes off alone with the Lord. He comes back, and they're sleeping, and he rebukes them for sleeping. Why rebuke them for sleeping if they're tired? Like, it's not like you just fall asleep on, like, one of the most crazy nights ever when Jesus has just called you somewhere unless you're really, really, really tired. But yet he rebukes them. Why? Because the natural response becomes evil when it contradicts what God has said to you personally. You notice Jesus didn't go rebuke everybody else that was asleep that night? Why? He didn't ask everybody else to come with him to go into the garden and pray. He asked the three. You know what would have been equally as wrong as them falling asleep when Jesus told them to stay awake and pray? is them leaving the garden, finding the other disciples asleep, 
and rebuking the other disciples for sleeping. Why? Jesus never told them to stay awake and pray. See, what happens sometimes is we judge others' obedience by them obeying what the Lord has asked of us. If it was wrong for me to go to sleep, it's got to be wrong for them to sleep. Be imitators of Christ. All right, I'm going to go give them the same rebuke that he gave me. No, it doesn't mean that. I wrote this down. That's why it's so important to know what God has said, but even more what he said to you. His word in the general sense won't be different to different people. His principles aren't person-specific, but there are seasonal things that he says to just us that are different than a seasonal thing he says to just you. So to Jesus, he says, go 40 days without eating. To Peter, he says, arise, kill, and eat. If Peter's judging his life and his obedience on what God has said to Jesus, or Jesus is judging his life and his obedience on what God has said to Peter, they're both going to be miserable and think the other is wrong. So how do you know if he's told you, come away with me and don't eat anything for a while, or if he's told you to arise, kill, and eat? It's by communion with him and knowing the voice of the Father. I'm doing math up here, and I'm not really good at it. (laughs) Yes, but our service isn't. (laughs) Okay. So it's okay to live by the natural principle that says, I eat when I'm hungry. It's okay to live by a natural principle that God put into motion unless God has asked you to put that aside in obedience to him. See, this is why I want to talk about this for a minute because I've seen it in my own life. I've seen when I haven't as much, and I've seen when I have, and I've seen the fruit of it. This is why fasting is so important when we feel like the Lord is leading us to fast. You realize Jesus said, when you fast. All right, he said, when you fast. The word says these two things. When you fast, it also says if you sin. We've made an if where he put a when and a when where he put an if. We've made it when you sin and if you fast, as if fasting is the negotiable one and sin is the non-negotiable, but that's not what the word says. The word says when you fast and if you sin. So you're saying you don't sin? No. You're saying you don't have to. So tell me I have to fast? I'm not. The word says when you fast. Meaning what? Jesus assumed that if we were following him, there would be a time where we would fast. And the the power of fasting is that you establish something inside of you that says, what I want in the natural is secondary to what God has called me to. So even even when something that God created me to feel is screaming for something, you realize like God created our body to produce a signal that made us feel hungry. You realize that every other bodily function that we have is the result of God giving us the ability to have that function, but it's for a time and a place, and it's not for when we want, it's for when he wants. 
So if we would live in subjection to him, we wouldn't live at war with ourselves. We'd actually have peace inside of us instead of members inside of us having war against themselves. So James says, he says, why is there war and struggle within you? It's because you want what you want. Fasting says, yep, my body is going to tell me that I not only want this, I need this. Just show of hands, how many in the past two years have done any fasting? And I'm not talking about dietary fasting. I'm, yeah, there goes some hands go down. <laughs> the intermittent fasters are like, I've been, <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I knew it would pay off. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying, how many of you have done a fast because you felt like the Lord was asking you to fast? Okay. How many of you know that in those times, like, there's not always this supernatural suspension of what your body was programmed to want and to need. If, if there was, fasting would be easy. And it wouldn't be a choice. It would just be a grace. I've heard people say that, well, there's just not a grace on me to fast right now. Well, that's probably a good time to fast. Because what you're saying is, it's not easy for me to do this right now, so I'm going to do this because it's not easy for me to do it. I'm actually going to say no to something that my body is telling me I need because I want to make sure that my flesh understands that it's in subjection to my spirit and not the other way around. And I'm establishing something within my own heart that says, I will do what God has asked of me before I will do what my flesh is screaming for. Jesus didn't even have the ability, like, 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 like maybe he had the ability because he's God, fully, you know, fully God, fully man, but he didn't tap into it. He laid aside his deity, not thinking equality with God, something to be grasped. He didn't step outside of humanity to fast. He actually did it as a man, which is why he began to feel hungry. If anyone could have suspended the ability to feel hungry, it would have been Jesus. And he couldn't suspend the ability to feel hungry and still call it a fast because now I'm not choosing something other than what my flesh is demanding. I'm just choosing the thing that is the natural choice because there's nothing else that's being asked of me. And it's in that moment that the enemy comes. when he starts to feel something that's trying to pull him in a direction that's contrary to where the Spirit of God led him. You think that's a coincidence? You think it's coincidental that the enemy waits until he sees that there's a feeling that's telling Jesus to do something. I promise you when Jesus felt hungry after 40 days, his body was saying the same thing your body is when you've been hungry for 40 minutes feed me <laughs> like you ever like we say that like oh I'm starving it's like no you're not even close you're like 30 days from starving you're not even 30 minutes from your last meal I trust me you're not 30 minutes from starving you're 30 days from starving when we say stuff like that, I'm star I promise you after 40 days there was a real scream from inside of Jesus in his body that said, I'm hungry. It said, he felt it. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, no, I'm not. 
There is just no recollection that Jesus ever said, no, I'm not. Why? He wasn't focused on saying no to the thing that he was feeling. He was focused on saying yes to the one he was following. And his yes to following Jesus, or following the Spirit, where he followed him to, was his no to anything that the Spirit of God wasn't saying. Our focus in life isn't saying no to the thing that's demanding attention. Our focus in life is saying yes to the one that we're following. And in that yes, there's a million no's. But the no doesn't come by us giving the the feeling our attention, giving the want our attention, giving the desire our attention. That's not where the no comes from. The no comes from our yes to being led by the Spirit of God. And if he's not telling me to turn stones into bread, then I'm not turning stones into bread. I don't care who asks me to or how much scripture they use. Why? Because I'm not here to debate scripture. I'm here to follow Jesus. And if you haven't heard him say to me what he said to me, you might come and say, this is stupid. Why are you doing this? Come on. I mean, you're, you're a son of God. You're a child of the king. You're royalty. You, you don't have to do this. You don't need to do this. You, you could use your position to make things easier. Use your position to get out of that uncomfortable situation. Use your authority to, to bypass that. It's like, come on. I'm not looking for the easy way. I'm looking for his way. I'm not saying I've never chose the easy way. The easy way is always there. I preached about it up in New Hampshire last week when I was up there in Ringe. It was awesome being up there um, with our church family up there, um, getting ready for Thanksgiving up there. And I was talking about thankfulness, and I was talking about Elijah and the, the prophets of, of Baal. And I, was, I, was, I noticed as I was reading through the text that it said that Elijah had to rebuild the altar of God. It doesn't say anything about the prophets of Baal having to rebuild the altar of Baal. Why? The altar of Baal, the, the cheap sacrifice that demands nothing of my life is always there waiting. But if I actually want to do what God's called me to do, it's going to take something of me. It's going to require something of me. That's not about earning grace. I'm saying to live the life that he's called of me, the easy way will be right there. I don't have to put any effort into it. I just have to to kill the sacrifice. The altar's already ready. The easy way's always there saying what you're doing is a waste of time. But Elijah had to one by one, using boulders, rebuild the altar of God before he could lay the sacrifice on it. I have so much more, I have so many more things I wish to say to you. <laughs> I mean, we'll let the rest of this be the next because it kind of does change direction there. It goes into what Will was talking about this morning about what we're saying. I'll just, I'll end here. If you've been following God and where it's led you to doesn't look like what you thought it would look like. Because if, if you asked me, like I said, what does it look like for the fullness of time for God to bring forth his son into the earth? It doesn't look like an unmarried teenager who has to take a long journey. It just doesn't. 
If I was drawing up the story, well, I'd draw it up that way now because I've read that story since I was a little child, so I have context for it. But if I had a blank slate and you said, what does it look like for the fullness of time for God to bring forth his son in the natural? What does that look like? I probably wouldn't have picked an unmarried teenage girl who has to take a long journey by donkey. But if you've been following him and and you're tempted now because you're starting to feel. Like Jesus follows the spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. And at the end of 40 days, it's right when he's at the end. Is when the enemy comes and tries to get him to give up and take the easy way. Right at the end. Like he's about to leave the wilderness in the spirit and in the power of God. He's about to walk into the temple and open up the scroll and say, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for he has anointed me. That he's about to walk into the temple and announce, I'm here. The thing that you've been looking for, the kingdom of God has come. I'm here. The Messiah that you've been praying for, that you've been prophesying. Like like the culmination of history is about to come to this point where Jesus stands in front of the church, takes the prophet, the role of, of, of Isaiah, and says, this is testifying and this is prophesying about me. Here I am. It's right before that. After all this time of following the Spirit of God, after all this time of you following Jesus, a feeling comes. It says, maybe you should just take the easy way. Use your position. Use your authority. Use your gift. But turn your back on the one you followed to this point. And use it to bypass what he's called you to whatever that that could be in your relationship. It could be in your marriage. It could be in your job. It could be anywhere where you've been being faithfully obedient for a time, and maybe it's been more than 40 days. See, You'll notice that Sarah doesn't come to Abraham and say, maybe you should take matters in your own hands and go around what God has asked of you in order to bring about the promise the day after God said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. No, he waits until there was probably a feeling of frustration, hopelessness, not being able to see how this could happen. starting to doubt not just what was said, but the one who said it. So if you're there in that place where you know that there's something that God's asked of you, there's something that you've been following him, something you've been led into by him, and all of a sudden now a feeling has come and like a rush along with that feeling came the enemy offering the easy way out. Trust me, if he thought that was the best time to 
try to get Jesus to turn his back on what led him to that point. He thinks that's the best time to try to get you to turn your back on what led you to that point. And if that's you and there's been a feeling accompanied by another way that offers instantly what it is that you think you need or want in the moment. Listen, I don't know I'm talking to somebody right now. Somebody's. Don't do it. Don't turn your back on what got you this far and take the easy way just because of a feeling. Father, I just pray for every person right now that's hearing my voice. I pray, God, that they wouldn't grow weary in well-doing. I pray that they would continue to follow your spirit that led them to where they are rather than the voice of a stranger that's trying to play off of their feelings. God, right now, I just pray against hopelessness and frustration. I pray against even selfishness that would cause us to want to take the easy way rather than your way. God, we don't want to be people that give you a sacrifice that didn't cost us because you didn't give us a sacrifice that didn't cost you. I pray, God, that we would not live by bread alone. Not in response to the natural, not in response to the enemy playing off of the natural, but by the words that have proceeded from your mouth to us. God, we know where we were when you said it. I pray that you restore to us the joy of pursuing that word that we had when we took the first step when our legs were fresh and our shoes were new. That we would restore that same joy now that our legs have gotten a little bit tired and our shoes have gotten a little bit worn, God, but we're still following you. I pray, Father, that we would have the same joy, excitement, but even more than that, we would have the same certainty that we knew what you had said to us and that we knew that what we were doing was what you had called us to. I pray that we would have that so firmly established in us, God, that we would, we would say no to the enemy, not because we spend our days saying no, but because we spend our days saying yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, our prayer team's coming up front right now. If you need prayer for anything, don't leave wishing you got prayed for. If you need healing spiritually, physically, emotionally, if you need wisdom because of a big decision you're facing, if you just need someone to agree with you, it says if one can put a thousand, two can put 10,000 to flight. That means there's 10 times more power in the agreement of two than there is by standing alone. Come up and let somebody agree with you in prayer. Um, if you don't need prayer, say hey to someone that you don't know. Have an awesome day today. Enjoy this. Listen, enjoy today. You know, tomorrow will have enough trouble of its own, but it'll also have its own joy. But you can't live today 
putting off the joy that's found today because of the joy you're expecting tomorrow. Don't let today be robbed because you're expecting tomorrow to be better. Let this be the day the Lord has made and rejoice and be glad in it. Not tomorrow look back and realize I should have rejoiced and been glad. And not sitting here only rejoicing and being glad for the promise that's tomorrow, but actually rejoicing and be glad in this day. Because tomorrow I'll be rejoicing and be glad for that day. But tomorrow is tomorrow. I'm going to rejoice and be glad today. Love you guys. See you back soon.